Power Rangers, greetings and welcome to another episode of Two Sugars No Sleep, here to help you kickstart your brand, your career, and your life. In today's episode, it is a long one, so I hope you have a nice little commute and a nice little attention span. Um, We're talking about 10 business mistakes that cost me six figures. So in this episode, I kind of pull up the hood on my first business that I was able to scale um, and talk to you guys about all the things that I did wrong that caused me to ultimately have to step away from the business. Um, These are lessons that I carry with me very dearly. Um, I live by them now and I try to make sure that I don't make the same mistakes twice. And as I'm in like, you know, my umpteenth side hustle, small business startup, um, I just look back at those moments and I'm like, oof, when I was going through it, man, it felt like the whole world was against me. The whole world was on my shoulders and uh, who knows if I was going to be able to make it. But now that I can look back, I'm like, wow, I'm so grateful that I went through all of those experiences, all those L's. I'm so glad I took those L's early because the level of game and insight that it gives me for um, what I'm doing now is just uh, is just truly incredible. So um, if you're someone who's a small business owner, who's kind of new who's just thinking about how do you become a better manager of your business um, I think that this is something that was going to be valuable for you Um, you can check the description for a quick overview of like all the top 10 mistakes we spent about four minutes on each um, because I try to give you guys examples and additional context that will really help drive these home so um, I hope that this is valuable for all the entrepreneurs in the tribe who are kind of in the trenches right now so without any further ado let's get into the content my boo yeah, it's your boy, Malik, Young Leaky, stepping in for the check-in. Yo, what's good, Instagram? I missed y'all. Did y'all miss me? Hold on, let me show y'all these views, man, before we get into the content. San Francisco is so beautiful. Oh my goodness, like this place is incredible. All right, so let me talk to y'all, man. The other day, I was thinking about what new videos would be interesting to make. Like, how can I make something a little bit, a little bit unique? And I was like, you know what? I've started a ton of small businesses, a ton of side hustles, and made so many mistakes along the way that have put me into crippling bouts of depression, that have gotten me blacklisted and ostracized, like a lot of stuff that most people don't know. But I was like, you know what would be really helpful? To make a video about some of my business mistakes that I've made that cost me a lot of money, a lot of success, um, and share that with people. So these aren't the top 10 business mistakes that I made, uh, but these are just 10 that came to mind. I got my phone here, so you may see me like looking down and stuff like that, like don't worry. I'm still here, I'm still engaged with you, but I wanna make sure that I actually get through this list, okay? So, let's get into 10 business mistakes that I made in my first venture that cost me a lot of money. So, for context, my first real business that I started was an e-commerce store. It was a streetwear clothing line by the name of Tribal Customs, so some of my homies from uh, high school and all that may remember. Um, But essentially, it's something that I started in my room when I was 16. um, And over the course of two and a half years, we grew it to over 23 countries. Um, We got our products in all seven continents and we did over six figures in revenue, had over a thousand clients, a lot of cool stuff. 
Um, so that was like my first time experiencing like success in business. Um, but what happened after is I made a ton and ton, a ton of mistakes that caused me to actually have to step away from the business, shut it down and like go back to the drawing board. So I'm going to share with you guys some of those mistakes that I made that caused me to make that decision to shut things down and what I learned from them and what I would do instead. So mistake number one, customer service. Oh my God. I cannot emphasize this enough, but customer service is everything. Like when you start making money in business, you start feeling yourself, you get a little ego, you think you're cool. And sometimes you may be as deranged as to think that you're better than your customers or like that, oh, it's not a big deal. Everything's gonna be okay. No, 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 no. You are in business to serve. The reason why people give you money is because they believe in what you're doing and they want to serve you. And when someone gives you money, you're obligated to serve them in the highest capacity possible. So one of the biggest mistakes that I made with that first venture was not investing aggressively into customer service and thinking about every day, how can I make the lives of my customers better? How can I add more value? How can I be more helpful? How can I show more love, more care? more enthusiasm right that was the biggest thing that i wish i did more of because um, your customers are your brand advocates they're the ones who are going to support you they're the ones who are going to tell their friends about you and word of mouth marketing is the best marketing there's nothing like when somebody that you love and trust comes to you and they're like hey check out this cool business this cool content this cool something you're going to check it out and you're going to pay so much more attention and the, uh, the reverse is also true like when you don't take care of your customers and you're upset, like you don't, the worst thing that you want is an upset, angry customer with a voice because they will use it. And I have had tons and tons of customers like, you know, call me out, like say tons of negative things. And like, cause they were just so frustrated with their experience that they wanted to, to, to voice that. And so um, mistake number one is not investing aggressively into customer service and thinking about all the ways that you can take care of people at the highest capacity. That's mistake number one, all right? Mistake number two is also a people-focused mistake, which is interesting. The first two are people-focused. Um, not hiring quickly enough. So one of the mistakes that I made was like, you know, again, this is why it's so important. I'm grateful that I went through these experiences early, but, um, I did not hire and bring people onto the team quickly enough because I thought that I could do everything myself, right? So like instead of thinking about how can I grow my team, how can I grow my capacity, all my focus and energy was on like, let me keep doing everything myself so I can keep all the money myself instead of using that money that I was making to invest into growing the business, right? And I tried to bring on like people to help but it was like, it wasn't even like, I wouldn't even call it trying because I would give them jobs that were so small um, that they couldn't even really help me on the things that I needed help on. Um, and that was a big mistake. Like, and I think that the reason why I, um, I didn't invest in people because I didn't trust people, right? I thought that like the only way that it could get done right was if I did it myself. Instead of thinking about how can I train someone how can I find someone and show them the ropes, show them the process, show them the system and grow them in a way where I can trust them to do the job better than me. 
right? It's gonna cost an investment up front to actually do that, but it's always worth it. And one of my favorite, favorite, favorite mentors, Grant Cardone, he talks about this all the time. He's always talking about how like one of the biggest mistakes that he made is not expanding quickly enough. Like there's no legendary company that you've ever heard of that's one person. Like, yeah, we have like the solopreneur, lifestyle business, Tim Ferriss, four hour work week, et cetera, et cetera. And you can do a lot by yourself or with a very lean team. Like I think the people who made Clubhouse, which is popping off right now, only has six people on the team. But if you really want to grow, if you want to think about how can you take your business to the next level, you need to invest into people. And you should not be so stingy or so short-sighted or like so much thinking in the short term that you overlook the investment that needs to happen because people are what's gonna get you to that next level. And when you hire people, when you invest in people, you actually free yourself up to start focusing on higher order problems in the business. You start freeing yourself up to stop working on the business, right? Or excuse me, stop working in the business and think about how can you start working on the business? That is so key. I wish I hired more people sooner. If I hired more people, I would have been able to identify some of the issues that were coming up. I would have been able to identify all the things that I was doing wrong and like actually dev like devise strategies that could help me overcome all of those issues, right? So hiring people is key, okay? So mistake number three um, is not making informed product decisions. And we got another motorcyclist going by, you know, downtown San Francisco, man, they love the motorcycles. Um, but mistake number three is not making informed product decisions. So this was, this was also another big one. And I'm like, as I'm actually talking about this out loud, I'm realizing how so many of these mistakes actually just came from my ego. And it's, it's crazy to say, but my ego is the biggest thing that hold me back. And as you're an entrepreneur, you wanna do things by yourself, you wanna be a boss, you wanna make your own money, call the shots. Like ego can be good, but you have to know like when to temper that ego and when to let it run free. Um, but not making informed product decisions. So basically, you know, with the clothing line, um, I was coming up with the designs, I designed like 10 collections, um, but if you actually look at the sales and revenue numbers of the business, all of the actual inventory was covered by like a small set of products, right? So like a small set of products is what actually created like all of the sales and all of the traction in the business. And so because of that, you know, instead of designing like all these different collections and like coming up with all these different concepts, if I could go back in time, I would have doubled down aggressively on what was working and then looked at the data around which products were actually getting the most traction, which things were resonating the most, and then invested into those products um, and use that to grow the business. Instead, what I did was like, um, I think there were like two things that I did. Like one was based off of trends analysis. So I would analyze different trends in streetwear and then design products that spoke to that. Um, the other side of things was just things that were of my own women fancy, right? And that second category is something that I would have probably leaned off of a little bit more. Instead of only creating products that were like, oh, I personally just think this is cool right and I think it's gonna sell right and not making any type of not doing any type of like analysis or thinking through like why certain things are gonna sell or versus others um, I would have focused on trend analysis 
right? And then thinking about, okay, what's already working in the business? What's already making money? What's already really popular? And then focus on those types of products. So making informed product decisions is key. And that's one of the biggest things that I've gotten out of working in tech and working at Facebook um, is that everything is so aggressively data-driven. Now, if you're someone who's like in tech, you know that, you know, there's, there's, it's an art and science, right? Like data tells you part of the story, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. Um, but it's so, so, so valuable in helping to guide your hypothesis and your thinking. Um, and you should look at everything that you're doing in your business um, as a science experiment, right? Like you should have this hypothesis-based approach around like what you choose to do, what you're going to experiment with, what you think is going to work, what are the variables and why? And so thinking about how do you develop hypotheses and how do you use those hypotheses to guide your decision making is key. So that's one thing that I would have done um, a lot more of. Like my most popular product um, was a pair of pants. Like we made this one style of pants, like cuffed pants. They had some designs on the inside, perfect for sneaker heads. Um, and they were just so, 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 so popular. We sold hundreds of pairs of those. Um, if I was going back in time, I would have invested in so many more different variations of that. I would have pushed it to different vendors. I would have figured out like, soon as you find something that works, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Find something that works and then exhaust it until you maximize the potential of that product, okay? So making informed product decisions is the next huge thing, all right? So let's go on to the next mistake. Oh, this is a good one. This is another product focused mistake, which is not investing in product quality. So again, short term thinking. Like I have a friend of mine, his name is Anand, um, and he always likes, you know, one of his sayings is that always take the long term view, right? Naval Ravikant also talks about that as well, as well as other smart people, right? Anybody smart knows that the long game is the best game. Right, but I was playing the short game because I ain't never seen no money before. So I'm like, are we making money now? Let me keep all of it and just, you know, focus on that and not focus on anything else. Not a smart idea. Um, so not investing in product quality. Um, product quality is everything. It ties into the product experience. It ties into the customer experience. It ties into like the reason why people are actually supporting you. And like when you think about that first point, customer service, and thinking about how can you add value, how can you make those customers' lives better, um, having a product that is like long, it's like, how do you say? It's durable, it has longevity. Um, it's a product that like, when people go back to it, they feel something good, right? Like it's something that people are proud of. Like that's one feeling that I've learned in sales and in design is so powerful to tap into, like giving people something that they're actually proud of, giving people a product and experience that they're excited to share, right? Those are the types of things that you want to do, right? So like I would have invested aggressively into making the best quality product that my money could buy at the time and just think about how can I continue to make things as good as possible for the customer, right? So like in clothing, I would have thought about okay like all the different details in terms of like what makes a good clothing product like the cut the fit the wash the tone the shades the colors like all of these things are things that make you love the pieces that you own and i would have thought a lot about like how can i create more experiences like that so investing aggressively into product quality and again always playing the long game 
all right? And this is another good one that falls right in line, good transition, taking too long to do stuff. Um, one of the biggest challenges that I had um, was that like our production timing like took way too long. Um, so like at certain times it would be taking months to create um, like our items. We were doing made to order so like we wouldn't actually go out and produce anything until a customer actually placed an order then we would go out and produce it. Um, and so like my production cycles were just way too long. My customer service, like when I was actually responding to emails and complaints from clients, it was taking way too long. In terms of like how quickly we were making decisions on what to focus on, what to push, pushing out marketing campaigns, finding influence, everything was kind of just on this slow schedule because I felt like I had all the time in the world because I was like, something had traction, right? But again, this is something that I've learned at Facebook, like, and something that Grant Cardone also talks about a lot. So Facebook and Grant Cardone, major shout outs for this video. Um, but essentially, speed is the new competitive advantage. The world we live in now with social media and instant gratification, which you guys hear me talk about all the time, speed kills. Speed is power. The faster you can make decisions, the faster you can iterate, the faster you can get um, feedback from the market on what's working and why, the, the better that you can go and the, the quicker you can get this flywheel going, right? The quicker you can get some momentum, get something going, get it onto the market, get some feedback, tweak it, make it better, get some more feedback, tweak it again, make it better. And then sooner than later, you'll have an amazing product. Sooner than later, you'll have like customers who love you, who wanna support you, right? And so speed, speed, speed. One of my, my co-founder, Abraham, you know, we work on tons of different businesses together, um, but one of his key sayings, if you go on his Twitter bio, um, it's ready, shoot, aim. <laughs> That's what it is, ready, shoot, aim. Instead of ready, aim, shoot, ready, shoot, aim. So take action before you actually want to. Like you think it's gonna take you three weeks to plan this thing out, to get your analysis together, to get your mental model together, all this kind of stuff. Take action now. Do everything sooner than you think you need to do it. If you think the collection is gonna take you one month to design, think about how you can get it done in two weeks. Think about how you can take all these timelines that, that you're giving yourself in your business and whoosh, cut it in half and get feedback from the market quickly. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Data, data, data. Like that is the key. The more data that you have, the more feedback that you're getting, the more you can tweak your product and make sure you have something um, that you can actually that you can actually scale and that people actually want. Right. So don't take too long. Speed is everything. Um, and in another video, I'll talk more about like other ventures where you know I took the speed L again. Like on this one startup that we were working on, we spent one year designing the perfect business model, doing all this competitive analysis, reading through all these research papers from PhDs, and looking through every single nook and cranny just to make sure that, okay, we know what we're doing, this is gonna be a good business decision, right? This is gonna make money, this is gonna work, this is gonna work. But like what you realize as you go through those repetitions is that the reason you take so long to do stuff is because you're scared. You're scared that your idea is not gonna work. You're scared that you won't get the feedback that you actually wanna get. And so you're using like, you know, taking your time as an excuse and as a crux to keep you from actually putting yourself out there and then getting either success or failure 
or like I would rather say like success or iteration <laughs> um, from actually putting your stuff out there into the market. So that that's a huge thing. Um, put your stuff out there, get feedback and validate. All right. Oh, this is another good one here. Lifetime value. So this is again going back to the same theme of like short term and short minded um, decisions. Um, so in the business, like, like I said, we had like over a thousand clients. Um, we did over six figures in sales, throw like a thousand products or whatever. But if you actually go back, you'll notice that the average order per, per customer, the average customer bought one and a half items, right? So all of that revenue and all those clients that we actually generated were all one time sales. Now, in the beginning, I would look at that and just be like, okay, revenue is revenue, sales are sales, customers are customers, cool. But what you realize is that like, um, I think it's like, it's like some adage from like old business or whatever, where it's like, it's 10 times cheaper to keep the customers that you already have than to go out and try to find a new customer, right? Um, and like, what you really want is not someone who just pays you one time, but you want someone where you can grow with them and get that lifetime value. That's why you see like the subscription economy is so popular now. Like everything is a subscription. Netflix, Hulu, Spotify. We're probably going to be paying monthly fees to these companies for life. They basically have annuities, perpetual annuities, like when they actually um, onboard you as a customer. Um, and that type of, those types of customers and those types of deals are actually so much more attractive and you make so much more in the long run. Um, and so instead of like, just like in this, like basically instead of um, only limiting yourself to like, one-time customers which goes back to product quality customer service and all the reasons why somebody wouldn't go back to do business with you again um, think about how can you continuously add value over the entire lifetime of the customer right and this is something that russell brunson one of my favorite guys also talks about as well which is the concept of a value ladder right so the way you should think about your products is that your products don't exist into a vacuum but you have a customer who is at point A and you wanna get them to point B, which is their desired end state. So if I'm teaching a course, like I have a course on professional development and resumes and stuff, I wanna get you to a point where you have a strong resume, you have a strong pitch, and you can get any job that you want. And so to get to that point B, to get to that desired goal, there are a lot of things that they need to do. And so you need to think about designing a line of products a collection of products, each of which works to get people to where they want to go. So the first product should be like the entry point into the system, the starter kit, right? So for Russell Brunson, it's a book. And then after that, you should think about what is the next logical thing that my customers are actually going to need to get to where they want to go. So you should be thinking about your goal, your customer's goals. You should be thinking about where they are in their lives and their journey with you. And how can you have products that help them along the entire life cycle at every single step? How can you give them something that's going to help them get to where they want to go? And if you design products that grow with your customers, that's how you can increase your lifetime value. So with Russell Brunson, you know, you're going to buy a book. After you get a book, he'll teach you some concepts. Then he's gonna help you um, get a software training program called ClickFunnels, which is a website builder. Then after that, he's gonna help you get the scripts, right? And the copy 
um, and the sales verbiage that you can use on the website to close more deals. And then after that, he's gonna get you something that you can use to optimize your websites. So if you're testing out different sales scripts, how do you figure out like how to optimize that, how to do A-B tests? And then after that, he's gonna get you to go to his in-person events where he can coach you one-on-one. -on -one. And then after that, he's gonna get you into his private mastermind group for $25,000. Um, where he's going to work with you on a monthly basis as things are happening in your business. And then when you're in that mastermind, there are probably other things that he can help you with. Now, some people may look at that and be like, oh, this guy, is, he's a salesman, he's a snake oil salesman, he's just trying to you know, get all my money or whatever the case is. Um, but when you really go back to that first principle that we talked about, customer service, what's the key word in there? service right and so when you're selling someone something you're actually serving them sales is not a dirty word selling people more products is not a dirty word you're trying to help them get to where they actually want to go and so when you take that approach designing that ladder of products that entire ecosystem of products is much more uh, is much more feasible so that's a key thing as well um, thinking about customer lifetime value Oh, here's another good one, guys. Not segmenting revenue. Oh, so all my solopreneurs, all my, all my side hustlers, I know you guys are gonna feel this one a lot. But one of the biggest mistakes that I made was around not segmenting revenue and not investing into accounting. So I remember when I took my first accounting class in college, I was like, oh my freaking gosh accounting is amazing if i actually knew all this stuff around like how to document and how to keep track of your finances and stuff things would have been like drastically different i would have been able to accelerate so much quicker um but essentially you know when i was making all this money from the business doing my e-commerce stuff um it would all go through my personal bank account and my personal paypal and so the money from the business would be mixed in for my other money and so i just looked at all this revenue that i was generating as my money <laughs> i'm laughing because i'm like that is so insane it's not your money bro it's the business's money right and if you don't separate your money from the business's money you're gonna start dipping into the wrong bucket and you're gonna end up ass out sorry mom i know you watch these videos um but i just wanted to explain like how crazy it can be um if you're not actually segmenting your revenue so i was in a point where i was generating tons of revenue getting clients like every single day there were new clients buying our products um and then I would just literally use the funds or use the profit margin. I'd be like, okay, I know it's gonna cost me, you know, 50% of whatever the revenue was to actually produce the products, and then maybe 5% to do shipping. And so the rest I just use as like free cash flow for myself, and then got into these terrible spending habits, buying designer, you know what I'm saying, designer shoes, designer clothes, and flexing on all my high school friends who really couldn't care less, you know what I'm saying? Um, and just like spending frivolously and not making like intelligent long-term decisions, right? Um, and then what happens is inevitably in business, things don't always go according to plan. There are always going to be moments where you're gonna have struggles, you're gonna have um, problems that come up, you're gonna have customers who want refunds, who are opening disputes, especially if you're not doing some of the other things that we talked about. And so you always wanna have a nest egg for your business that's like completely separate from everything that you're doing. Um, that's just like a just in case fund. Just in case you get sued. Just in case you need to offer refunds. 
just in case your account gets blocked, right? Like there's so many things that can happen. Like Grant Cardone one time, um, he was in business and he was getting sued for something that he didn't even do. This, this case had no basis, right? It was completely made up, completely asinine. But the person who was suing Grant Cardone had a vendetta against him for some reason. Um, and he was spending, I think it was $200,000 a month on lawyer fees to sue Grant. So Grant ended up like going from being a millionaire to like, you know, going broke um, because he had to spend so much money over 200 grand every single month just in legal fees. And when you get to these higher levels of business where like you, you can create enemies and people who have the money to actually fight, um, that stuff is real. I've had moments where like my accounts have gotten frozen. That's something that happens all the time, especially if you start experiencing like breakout success, right? So if you, if you release a product, you have a good marketing campaign, you do some influencers. I've seen people do like $100,000 in sales in a day. I think there are some people who even did like 500 grand in sales in like a couple days, right? If you are doing that type of, those types of numbers out of nowhere, the bank is going to freeze your accounts. And when they freeze your accounts, if you don't have that nest egg on the side to handle different business expenses that come up, you're not gonna be good. And then we haven't even talked about investing in the business to grow the business. How do you go from six figures to seven figures? How do you go from four figures to five figures? Well, you need to put money up to invest into your business so you can get that growth that you're looking for, okay? So again, segmenting revenue, understanding accounting, understanding what is accrued revenue versus earned revenue, what is revenue that you've made um, in title but you haven't like actually earned because you haven't delivered the service yet. Being able to um, understand all of these concepts are so key to managing your business um, because like your accounting is essentially like the lifeline of the business, okay? So segmenting my revenue is something that I wish I did earlier on and that I did not use uh, my business to fund my very vain and terrible spending habits on um, luxury clothes that didn't really matter that I actually still wish I had because I would just be constantly buying and reselling stuff and I didn't even have anything to keep to show for it um, all this time so again segment your revenue okay here's another good one um, I stopped learning not investing into education aggressively so one of the reasons why I think I was able to um, achieve success in that first venture was because um, I was a voracious learner like I was my products were focused on a very specific community which were sneakerheads and streetwear people streetwear enthusiasts um, and I spent so much time every single day learning everything about this audience. I tracked their movements. I was an active member of the community. I was an active sneakerhead, active fashion blogger. And so my obsession was with my customer and their habits and their preferences, okay? And that's what allowed me to design products that those customers actually loved. But the, the mistake that I made is when I started getting some level of success and when I started getting um, you know, think money was coming in, et cetera, et cetera. I just took a step back and be like, yep, uh, I got it all figured out, dude. I'm going to be good. What? Learning and innovation, investing into your business. Dude, I don't have time to do that, man. I'm good, bro. Like, what are you even talking about, bro? Yeah, that was a huge, huge, huge mistake. 
you always need to be trying to put yourself out of business or else somebody else is actively doing that. Like, like you gotta remember that no matter where you are, there's somebody who wants to take your spot. And so if you're not consciously thinking about what do you do to get to the next level? How do you innovate? How do you, how do you double down on what's working? How do you invest into the business? You're gonna get left behind. And so the moment that I stopped learning, the moment that I stopped studying fashion, stopped studying streetwear, stopped studying the trends that existed and the things that were working, that's the moment I sealed, I sealed the deal. Um, because at the end of the day, like I said, like if you're not trying to put yourself out of business, somebody else is. So always, always, always be thinking about how can you learn? How can you improve? How can you grow? How can you take this to the next level? Put in the hours to study your craft. If you make, like I, I, I was a fashion designer, right? But I didn't understand cut. I didn't understand textiles. I didn't understand um, like product, like like fashion product design and all the things that like made a product what it was. Like, why do I wear this camel coat? What does this camel coat mean? Where was the first camel coat invented? How does this go back to like the 1920s where this is where like how people actually dress but the colors were all dark, right? Like where did this silhouette even come from? Like ask yourself these questions where you have, like you're just asking why, 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 why? And trying to get into like the origin of things, right? Like you wanna know all the itty bitty details about how your product actually works. Know everything about your business. Know everything about your industry. Know everything about your customer. Be obsessed. Like Grant Cardone says, you gotta be obsessed or you will be average, right? So get obsessed about everything. And I think that this is actually one of my greatest superpowers is my OCD. I am so obsessed with everything that I do. I don't just do anything. I get so obsessed about the little details that nobody cares about but me, right? I get obsessed about the details. I don't, like when I'm creating a mood board, I don't stop until I've hit the bottom of the search results. If I'm on Pinterest creating a mood board, I don't, I don't stop until I've literally gotten to the point in Pinterest where I cannot scroll anymore. And then I go to another site and I make sure that I exhaust all the materials there until I got every single piece of data to make the best decisions possible. And so you wanna take that same approach to everything that you're doing in your business. Like, be obsessed. Be, and if you have to ask yourself if you're obsessed, then you're not obsessed. Be obsessed or you will be average. That's the key. Be obsessed or be average. I think the person is laughing in the background, so I think she, she resonates with that point. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But be obsessive. Um, like you have to care. You have to care more than anyone. And that's why like entrepreneurship and business is so, it's so difficult because it takes a lot of heart, right? It's like, it's not normal what you have to do and what you have to go through. Like you have to put away this idea of like being a normal person. Like when you're an entrepreneur who's trying to get your business off the ground, like cut it, cut it. There's no more normal. There's no more normal. There's only what is the next level in the business and that's where you need to go. And that's where you need to put your focus. So yeah, the moment I stopped learning was the moment I sealed my, I sealed my coffee, okay? Oh, here, here are the next two. Not investing into ads and not optimizing. So ads were, were key. So like the big thing about um, tribal customs and the business was that everything was actually built through organic marketing. So, um, 
it was organic marketing in Facebook, in Facebook groups, leveraging my own personal brand that I'd built up, um, leveraging um, free distribution methods, leveraging influencers, leveraging shout out pages, etc. Um, and so all of the marketing that I did was all organic. Um, and it worked because we got customers through the door, we got people to pay and sign up for the product. However, I did not invest into Facebook ads or Instagram ads or whatever because you know what I said? Oh, I never bought anything off of an ad, so ads probably don't work. So I'm not going to do ads because they don't work, which is again, ego and arrogance coming to defeat you again. If you don't, it doesn't matter if you personally don't buy anything off of Facebook ads. That does not mean that the 2 billion people who use Facebook do not buy anything off of ads. Facebook is one of the most valuable companies in the world, operating at over 40% margins, generating billions of dollars every day. They have billions just sitting in cash and it all comes from, Senator, we run ads. Okay, ads work, bro, ads work. You think they don't work on you? You're tripping, you're tripping. It's called bias, right? Like literally, ads work. And the people who buy things on Facebook are different. Like there are different types of people who use social media. There are people who just browse. There are people who share things to their friends. There are people who purchase things. There are people who purchase things immediately on seeing them. There are people who need to see an ad a hundred million times over the course of nine months before they can actually make a purchase. There are so many different types of archetypes um, who are using this platform. You would be naive and uninformed to think that ads don't work. Good ads work. And the reason why ads are so powerful and I, I wish I invested in this sooner is because when you're running an ad, you're essentially buying data. That's what you're doing when you're running an ad. You're essentially putting up money and you're telling the robots, AKA these algorithms who distribute your content and put it on people's feeds and try to get those three second views. You're telling them, okay, I'm gonna give you $100. I'm gonna give you $10,000 this month and I need you to find people who are most likely to resonate with my product or service or offering. I need you to find people who you think Facebook robots overlords would actually purchase this product. And what you need to do is you need to give the algorithm time to work, right? So it usually takes around a month um, and it usually takes at least, um, I think it's like $250 a month. I think over 90% of people spend less than that. And this is public information. Um, but it, it, it takes time for the algorithm to find the audience, to, to show your stuff to enough people to see like, oh, this is gonna work. Like the way you should think about how ads work it's like you're basically giving a robot your product and you're telling your robot to go do, go, go find like customers for you, right? Like your robot, these algorithms are trying to find whoever your ideal customer actually is, right? And so it needs time to talk to enough people to be like, you know what? When I showed this product to Mary, Mary liked it, but Mary didn't buy. I don't know why Mary didn't buy it, but she didn't. But when I showed it to Barbara, Barbara was all Barbara was on go. Barbara was ready. So let me go find a hundred million more Barbaras to put this product in front of so that we can actually get some revenue through the door. So ads are super key. Um, buying data is so key. And once you have ads and you can kind of see what's working, what's not working, um, you can start optimizing, which is the final number 10, the final mistake, which is not investing into optimization. 
So basically, the way to figure out what works, again, thinking about science experiments, that's the mental model that you have to take to business. You need to be a scientist, right? An experimenter who has hypotheses, right? And hunches and you test and refine. Um, so optimization is so key. Like what you need to do is you don't just come up with one ad, put it out. And then if it doesn't work, ads don't work. No, no, no. You actually come up with a hundred different ads, a hundred different pictures that you could use, a hundred different captions that you could use. And then you mix and match the pictures and captions until you figure out like what works. You mix and match all the pictures and captions together. You show it to a bunch of people. Um, and then from there, you can kind of see like which, which value propositions, which messaging, which words, which things like that actually generate the, 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 the most results. Which visuals generate the most results? What type of style of content is getting the most views? What type of style of content is good for getting actual purchases? The only way you can actually understand all of these things is if you're actually testing a bunch of different content, right? And that's what optimization is all about. It's figuring out, okay, like how can I come up with as many different variants, as many different versions of this thing um, and see where the traction is. If I had invested into optimization, I would have been able to double down um, on the products that were actually generating sales. Um, and then I would have been able to maximize the sales that I was actually getting from my existing customer base. Okay, so optimization is key. And then optimization doesn't just happen on the ads front, but it also happens on the e-commerce front as well. So like there are so many different things that you can do on your website to optimize it. And so our website was just pretty basic. Like it was beautiful, it had good visual design, but you just go, you buy your product and then you leave and then that was it. Um, but if you've noticed on a lot of popular sites, they have um, countdown timers to let you know um, how many people are watching this item, how many people have already bought this item, how much inventory is left. Oh, they have a special promo that pops up. If you leave the website, um, if you leave the website, something pops up it's like, hey, don't click away, we'll give you a 20% discount. Or if you add something to your cart um, and then like it, nothing comes of it, like you, like you don't purchase the item, or whatever, um, they'll send you an email like, hey, we noticed that you left something in your cart, come back and buy it, etc." Um, and those are the types of things that you can do to optimize your website and get more sales and tweak it. Um, you'll notice that like what you're going for is like 1% changes, these tiny, tiny, tiny little tweaks, incremental, incremental innovation, right? Those are the types of things that actually generate results. And those are the types of things that are going to make a big difference in your sales and in your business at the end of the day. And that's actually what we spend all of our time doing at Facebook. Um, if you didn't know, there are actually thousands of different versions of Instagram that are running at any moment. So you may notice that there are some features that you have that other people that you know don't have. There are some things that you can do that other people can't do because we're always optimizing. And these little tiny, 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 tiny tweaks add up to make a big difference, okay? So those are all the business mistakes that I made in that first venture. I hope you got something out of it. A quick recap is customer service, not hiring people, not making informed product decisions, not investing into product quality, taking too long to make decisions, not thinking about the lifetime value of the customer, and then not segmenting um, and stopping your learning, and also not investing into ads. Um, so, and not investing into optimization and testing as well. Um, so those are mistakes that I made that cost me a ton 
in my business. Um, I hope you learn from it. I hope that you can benefit by not making the same mistakes that I made so that you can actually get ahead um, and start from a better starting point. Um, and yeah, that's all I got for y'all today. Y'all already know what it is, man. Own your power, give back, and leave no stone unturned. Black Lotus? <gasps> Out. you sat through that whole thing can you please clap it up for yourself i mean wow that is that is incredible i love you i can't see you right now you can't see me but as i record this on my phone in my room on this monday evening at 5 57 p.m i want you to know that i love you for um giving me the respect the honor of spending this hour with me as we talk through a bunch of business stuff y'all know y'all know i can run my mouth i be getting so tired i'd be talking so much i'd be like it'd be hard to breathe when i'm taking these walks <laughs> so at some points you may hear me run out of breath you know uh i'm a talker for sure but that's why i'm glad to have you guys and have this podcast as a forum for me to kind of get all of these crazy wonky thoughts out there um not just for myself to go back and revisit but for anyone else who's on a similar journey as me so uh, i hope this was valuable for you um today's episode a shout out goes out to the homie Antonio Moore. Now, this guy is truly one of a kind. He's uh, born and raised in Baltimore, um, and he went from the most grim of circumstances, really, you know, growing up underprivileged and overlooked, but never being content with what his environment actually was around him. And he decided to make a change. So he's a true hustler, a hard worker, somebody who's very active in uh, the social justice reform space and in terms of like uh, working with uh, formerly incarcerated people or troubled youth. He's considered a troubled youth expert, actually. And um, I'm pretty sure he's still way under 25. Like, I think probably even like 21 and, and something in that range. So very impressive guy, um, all about the community. Um, but beyond that, he's also an entrepreneur and a real estate investor. So if any of my listeners are in Baltimore and need some wholesaling, got some contracts they might want to talk to the homie antonio you can find him on instagram at lorton so l-o-r-r underscore t-o-n-e tons of great content on there i think you'll really really like it and uh, i appreciate antonio for consistently 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 supporting the content like that's a major love and you know we wouldn't be here without people like antonio and people like you who actually um, listen to this stuff and, and get some value from it. So I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. And let's get into the song of the day. Hee <laughs> So for today's song of the day, we have something very appropriate. Uh, it's one of my very first and very favorite affirmation songs. It's called Millionaire Rhythm. In parentheses, affirmations to attract wealth. You dig? Um, an amazing song that I made a while ago about being a millionaire in the future. So all my future millionaires or my millionaires in training, my MITs, can you please put your hands up? I know my hand is up right now. May the most high make it come soon so that we and all of our families can benefit. Um, but yeah, this is a really fun song about me um, just manifesting all the wealth and all the great things that I want to attract. Um, and I listen to it. I, I, I listen to it. I speak in the per present tense throughout the song. 
Um, it, it has a very goofy, carefree spirit to it, which I think is great for affirmation so that, you know, it makes you feel good. It makes you laugh a little bit. And uh, it makes you actually like visualize what it would be like for those millions of dollars to be in your pocket. So check it out. And I hope you like it. I see you on the other side. Peace. Manifestations. I'm gonna manifest my dreams. I am going to achieve my goals. What you say? What you say? Oh yeah, shaku. <laughs> Millions of dollars are in my bank account right now. Millions of dollars. Around you, don't believe in you. I believe. 